Hi, I'm Matt. I'm Rachel. And welcome to The Tim's Take, episode 58. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Matt. <laughs> How you doing? You've had a long week. Oh, it's been such a long week. Not really a hard week, which I feel like I'm growing as a person, that the week did not just become unbearable. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I yeah. do. I mean, we had our low points, but we got there. Yeah, but they weren't as low as maybe low points in the past. It's <laughs> just been a lot. It was a convergence of many different things this week. Yeah. In my work and in life, my student life and all kinds of things. So I'm glad to be slowly coming to the end of it, which is great. And I'm glad to be here podcasting with you. Oh, that's so sweet. I'm looking forward to this conversation. I'm very, very curious. Yeah, me too. But before we get there, I do have an unofficial mailbag because we had thrown out to ask people about preschool. Ah, yes. Any thoughts or reflections they had. And this is through an unofficial channel, so we're not going to give his his true name. We'll call him Greg. He said, I thought y'all did a good job reflecting on the complexity of the pre-K question. One reaction I had was to the social component. This is very contextual slash subjective, but my experience has been that preschool relationships more often than not are the most ephemeral of the connections you slash your kid could possibly make during your kid's life. That's not to say you shouldn't try to form friendships in preschool or to not consider how you can show care or love or gospel witness, he put in scare quotes, during those years. But I do think there's something to be said about not having the expectation or pressure of making every connection one of eternal importance. He then says, ha ha. I think as one moves through more and more seasons, there's a process of learning how to curate or invest in particular relationships and then also be warm or present with other relationships while acknowledging they're unlikely to become significant in the long term. Hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I think that maps. I've read a number of articles recently that have talked about just friendships in general in your 30s, 40s, and beyond. And I think a big theme of that is just recognizing that we just can't like be friends with everyone forever. And so some of that is just knowing which relationships to curate, as Greg said, and which ones to invest in. And then there will just like, you can just be a friendly person to everyone else at your kid's preschool or school or whatever. Like you don't have to do it all. And there's pressure for that for sure. Yeah. And I know he was in part responding to your comment saying like, well, Part of this decision is it impacts the friends your kids make, the people you're going to come into contact with and all of that. But you were really talking about it in the context of where a preschool led into an elementary school and those kind of connections between the two. Whereas I know Greg's experience was those two were independent. So it kind of, again, context matters and which yeah. is just one more additional thing to think about. <laughs> exactly. And I think we live in a smaller area. So I think you go to this school and then you get your kids in this activity because someone at the school said it was good. You know, I don't know. I think interesting. Yeah. There's I mean, context probably matters. some crossover in our smaller suburban area. Then the end of the school is location where Greg lives. Yes. Then not, other locations might be <laughs> not his real name. All right, let's move on for our conversation. It was really started earlier today when we were watching Moana with Oliver and there's a scene where Moana is leaving the island kind of in the dead of night as her grandmother is literally dying where 
Moana's mom comes in and helps her pack. This is someone who's seemed to be against her ever going out beyond the reef. If you don't know the movie, you can watch it in your own time. And you looked at me and we were both like, oh, like almost like I mean, tearing up. I did have tears in my if eyes. Not, if not, it started to cry a little bit. And I just thought, when do we become those people? We did not used to just like really feel it during Disney movies. I mean, we both love Disney, but it really never hit us that much before. But I cannot watch Coco, Moana, Encanto, any of these movies that we watch with Oliver now. It just, wow. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about that phenomenon. And a light Google leads you to many, many different articles and many different people reflecting that they are crying more now that they've had kids. There's this article, if you literally feel like a new person after having your baby, here's why. It's by Ambrosia Brody, and we'll link it in the show notes. But she kind of does a little bit of a dive and talks about sort of the, the hormonal things that are going on, the sort of attachment theory things that are going on for moms. Doesn't at all talk about dads, but I was like, this also seems kind of true for me, obviously in different ways. But I just thought it'd be kind of interesting to explore the question, how have you changed since Oliver's entered our lives? Like you as a person, not how's your life changed, but how have you changed? Yeah, I... I think maybe I've talked about this on the podcast before or maybe just in other conversations with friends, but I was surprised in having Oliver about how little I felt like I changed. Mm. Uh, and I I mean, as we dig more into this, like I have in significant ways, but I think I felt like there would be a whole personality shift and that just didn't happen for me, at least like in a negative way that I thought might happen. Oh, yeah. I was just about to ask what you thought you were heading towards. Uh, I think I thought like my whole world would become like my kid. Like I wouldn't know how to have conversations outside of like talking about him. Hmm. And I just thought that obviously isn't true. I think I thought like I would just like become super into like crafts and <laughs> games and make-believe and like i can i can get there but it's still like not my natural like it wasn't just mm. like oh man i just like love playing on the floor for hours like no i still don't <laughs> so there are just some things that like it wasn't like i like transformed into like the cliche super mom yeah. overnight and was like, oh, these things are just so life-giving now. Like the things that were life-giving before I think are still life-giving. Yeah. I do, this article had one interesting part that I really identified with. She talks about how what you said before, like that we potentially are more emotional for certain things. But then she interviews someone else and they say mm -hmm. actually the opposite was true for them mm -hmm. and that her focus changed when she had kids and when she was very sensitive pre-kids, uh, after having kids, it actually made her more confident in who she was and less sensitive. And I was like, yeah, I think some of that is true. She goes on to kind of detail how she just realized she had to focus on like what was best for her family and her kids and priorities. And like that meant just saying no to things and kind of just being more confident in who you are. And as a like recovering people pleaser, <laughs> I think having a kid has given me some allowances in some areas to feel like it's more socially acceptable to say no. 
and now even if I'm past that point because he's like not a newborn, like I still feel like I've kind of built up those habits of like, okay, no, this is how like I, we want our family to be. And so like if it falls outside of that boundary, then I'm more willing to say yes or no than ever before. What do you think? About how have I changed? Yeah. Hmm. This is this is maybe going to sound very weird. And maybe it is definitely a little morbid, but I feel like I think about death a lot more. Yeah. You do too? Yeah, I think so. Oh, interesting. I don't know, but tell me tell me what that's like for you. I haven't quite parsed this out, but I think I definitely have a little bit of the catastrophizer. Oh, I mean, you do. <laughs> have we mentioned on this podcast how you thought your whole family was murdered by a friend of your brother who was staying with them for the weekend because they weren't texting you back within like an hour? I didn't necessarily think this, but I did wonder it. I think some of that baseline anxiety maybe is ratchet- ratcheted up, especially maybe when I'm in an unhealthier place mm. in terms of about him, especially. Uh, but it just feels like kids, they orient you to the future in a different way. And so I think Oliver's done that because suddenly I'm I'm far more invested in 20 years from now. <laughs> than you ever were. Than I ever was, right? And it's just like your life and your death impact more people yeah. now as well. So I think that's one one way I've changed. Yeah, I'm reading a book called No Cure for Being Human by Kate Bowler, who, yeah. like when she was 36 and had a one-year-old son, got diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And so she talks a lot. She's still alive through a series of miracles, but she talks a lot about her processing, like what her relationship with her one-year-old son and then, you know, as he's gotten older is like because for what exactly what you said, like the future is like even more thrown into like uncertainty or maybe more certainty that you're not going to make it very long. And so like, how do these moments, like how do you hone into these moments and really like live in them? And I think in my worst moments, that's like paralyzing. Cause I'm like, mm-hmm. I mean, I can't even like fathom what that would be like. And like the thought of like your son not remembering you or whatever is like, yeah, it could be crippling, but in my better healthy moments, like reading that, it just really makes me want to just like take it all in with him. Like, yeah. you know, like how beautiful it is to like walk in and just hang out with him while he's babbling in his crib and have cuddles and, you know, all these things. So, but I do feel the same way. Like you're more in tune to like your mortality in lots of ways with a yeah. kid. I do think there's another piece of this that's kind of um, very early in this journey. I don't feel like this is something I could say has changed about me. But I do think there's also something humbling about realizing it's not very far away that, like, people who descend from me will not remember me at all. <laughs> you know? That's how I feel when I watch Goku with all yeah, yeah, well, I was thinking about that, too, right? Like, it's about remembering your family, but... The reality is we don't have a culture of remembering family and uh, Oliver Oliver's never even met your grandparents, hasn't met one of my grandparents, but won't have any memories of my mom's parents. And it's like, huh, okay, well, I guess that doesn't make 
a ton of sense then for my world to completely revolve around me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I think it's healthily humbling and it sort of like invites you to think about what are you investing in? And yeah, like I said, I don't know. I'm not very far on that journey. I wouldn't say that's something that's changed, but it's a thought that I have in a different way because it feels more tangible. And I am just way more emotional at like things that revolve around kids or parental relationships. That that also, that is definitely true. Yeah. And I think that's just like an empathy thing. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing a little bit about how you changed. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely not as light and funny as I thought it might be. But I think also very true to our experience on a deeper level. Yeah, we went deep pretty quick. Deep and all the way to the end. <laughs> all the way to the end. Why don't you lighten us up with a little closing segment here that we call a field guide for parents. As a reminder, this is kind of tips, hacks, products that just make parenting a little easier. Exactly. I, I was so excited about this. I was listening to a podcast this week from Coffee and Crumbs called Game Changers. And they were talking just about things that have kind of changed their world in a positive changed way their games changed their <laughs> games in a positive way and i was looking at a discussion thread and someone posted this a link to this article and i'm just going to kind of just discuss the general concept because it's something that i think we've talked around a lot about and then like reading it was like yes this is it and i want to like this is all i want to do for the rest of our Young parenting. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. I did not realize. I thought it was going to be like the smoothie packs that you have in the freezer, but this feels much more significant. Nope. Uh, we have not talked about this. So this is from the Lazy Genius, and she said it's the article titled Seven Date Night Mistakes You Didn't Know You Were Making. Oh, boy. <laughs> and basically, her. All, she lists seven mistakes, but they all, her solution that she can, like her conclusion is that you should start your date earlier. She says, I don't understand why parents go out from 7 to 10 p.m. You hire a babysitter and your kids are already asleep. You're tired because you almost never stay out past 7 p.m. The restaurants are busy. You're just cranky. It's You're still home for the hardest part of the day, which is the witching hour between 4 and 6 p.m., so why are we going out on dates after 7 p.m.? She goes, no, you should start your dates from 4.30 and have them end at 7.30. And we've talked about this. I think it was maybe two podcast episodes ago where we had a parents' night out at our church. Oh, yeah. uh-huh. And we went during that hour. And I feel like a couple weeks ago, months ago, who knows at this point, we did hire a babysitter and we went out and saw a movie on a Friday afternoon and we did this exact thing. And it was perfect because what happens is you get out of the house when it's usually their crankiest when you're just like done so you don't have to be there for that you can go to a restaurant when it's not busy and get out of there before it's crazy and then you get home you've actually missed your kids and you get to be with them for the best part of the night which is like cuddles before bedtime And then your babysitter gets the whole rest of their night. You still get the rest of your night. So it's like an extended daytime. You've gone out and now you get to be home on the couch for another three hours. It's a lazy genius move. And we've been talking about it. And I'm like, gosh, I'm never going to go 
out on a date past 7 p.m. ever again. <laughs> Unless it's like a group thing. I get it. You can't really avoid that. But I'm like, I'm going to that happy hour at 4 p.m. <laughs> it just makes so much sense. And when she outlines it like that, I'm like, yes, this is why I felt so like on top of the world when we did that. Hmm. So from now on, we are hiring babysitters from 3 to 7 p.m. Oh, my God. And that's it. I'm not doing it. Well, first of all, we, we can hardly afford babysitters, period. So what you mean is we're begging my parents to watch Oliver for free. Yes, right? exactly. This is very dependent on a certain set of resources for people. Okay, well, however your child care situation sets up, if you ever get out of the house, don't do it at 7 p.m. Do it at 3 p.m. On the weekend, if you can do it during the week, great. But it works on the weekend, too. If you're able to. If you're... I'm, yes, yes, I'm saying, <laughs> if you're going out on a date, why would you go out past seven? I just... It makes so much sense to me. Wow, that really resonated with you very deeply. Yes. <laughs> I Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't disagree. I know. you. I was like, how could you not agree? You don't like going out past seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like to be home. That's very true. So if you tell me there's a chance I can be home. So you get to go out. We get to have our date, have cheaper drinks. It's less busy. Come home and still watch TV. Yeah. I love how fired up you are about this. I thought you would be so much more excited. Doesn't this make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. Ugh, fine. No, no, no. I, I think it's great advice. It is. It's like if people ask me for parenting advice, this is now the parenting advice I'm going to oh, give them. Okay. Wow. That was very good advice. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll co-sign it. Oh, okay. Thanks. Babysitter is just so expensive. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's that's a great field guide. We'll close the book on the field guide till the next time, till we open till the next page. I think that's it for this episode. What? Till next time. <laughs> can't till next time i'm gonna go out on a solo me time from 4 to 7 p.m apparently well that would work because i could watch oliver yeah great for free free. (laughs) i'll take you up on it no i would love to go for a date with you starting at four o'clock sounds great all right till next time i'm matt i'm rachel and that is your tin steak